0: Welcome to the Bow Church Podcast. This is the final episode of our five-part series on the Book of Revelation. Today, Tim May talks about how we can live out the story that God has called us to live in. We hope you enjoy the podcast. The Book of Revelation, Chapter 21. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water as a gift from the spring of water of life. Those who conquer will inherit these things and I will be their God and they will be my children.
1: As we open the scriptures now, let's pray. Almighty God, send the Holy Spirit that though scattered, we would be united. As we look into the scriptures now, would we see Jesus? Will we know the warmth of his embrace, the power of his name and the purpose you've called us towards? In the name of Jesus. Amen. So, as Andy said, it is Saint Cyril's Day, um, but you may also know that it's it's known as Saint Valentine's Day as well. Today, Happy Valentine's Day to your wave uh, to, for that as well. Um, you may know, I mean, it might might be common knowledge. It may not that Saint Valentine was actually um, one of the early martyrs of the church. He was killed, beheaded, in fact, for helping Christians and not only helping them, but marrying Christians in the woods, hidden places where they couldn't be found. And he was eventually killed. So it's a bit of a grisly beginning that now looks quite rose tinted and, you know, heart shaped chocolates and everything like that. But it links us to the book of Revelation which we are concluding our series on this morning. Because, of course, Revelation was written to the persecuted church. And right the way through the story of Christianity, people have suffered for his name. And um, St. Valentine's, well, Valentine's Day and all its kind of puffiness actually is, is a powerful link to this powerful book. So I don't know how you found um, our, our study on the book of Revelation. Maybe it's driven you mad. Maybe you're relieved we're done. Um, maybe you just find it really hard. But I just want to remind you that hard things can be good things. I've recently become a parent. It's hard, but it's good. Understanding poetry, learning to cook, learning how to do DIY, play a sport. These are hard things, but they are good things. And sometimes I worry that, that we think that if the Bible is hard, it's not a good thing. But the Bible is a skill. You don't need to go to university or have any special knowledge, but it takes skill and and time to get good at the Bible. And that's what we want to do as a church. So it's been good to wrestle with the hard part of scripture because it's a good thing. The return on the investment is great, as we see in a new way the person of Jesus calling us forward. And and so we've got a second part of our our studies on Wednesday. We've had a theologian, a thinker, Christian thinker, Stephen Backhouse. Two weeks ago, he helped us. And again, this Wednesday, our final session with Stephen Backhouse, helping us to think with the book of Revelation. Do sign up. If you get the church email, Uh, I'll, I'll tell you at the end of the service how to do all that. But do sign up and come along on Wednesday and Stephen will answer some not all of your questions but today we're concluding the sermons on revelation and so far we've looked at how love overcomes fear as jesus puts his hand on the apostle john at the beginning says do not be afraid how we're called to sacrificial love because of the lamb who was slain how judgment turns out to actually be good news and how last week how worship restores our perspective and today I would say that the story you live in is the story you live out. That's something my friend Pete James said a while ago. The story you live in is the story you live out. And in our culture at large, we have a story problem, we have a narrative crisis. There are clashing and mixed stories all over the place. Uh, those that stormed the Capitol building in, in Washington lived in a highly specific story that led to extreme actions that they believed would save America. Those who flew planes into the two towers had another very specific story that led them to extreme actions hoping it would destroy America. Both groups had very specific stories The story that Martin Luther King Jr., that Mother Teresa, that Maximilian Kolbe, who laid down his life in the Holocaust for others, they all had a very specific story that led to quite extreme actions, hoping for different purposes. There's a story crisis, a narrative problem, and the disciples at the time of the book of Revelation were in a story problem. Because life was hard. They were persecuted. The book of Revelation was written to encourage and inspire the church to rediscover and reclaim the story that it was called into being to be part of. The story you live in is the story you live out. What you believe you're part of affects how you contribute and the actions that you do. And Revelation 21, what we have just heard, That's the end of the story. The final chapter, the resolving note of the story of all things in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. John's message of encouragement. John's message is to point the disciples at the time the followers of Jesus to the end of the story to the good news about the end of the story believing that if they captured it they rediscovered it they reclaimed it it would affect their actions in difficult circumstances it is a moving vision of the reunion of heaven and earth something that reminds us of the beginning of the story In the Garden of Eden, when God and humanity dwelled in unity, and it says that God walked in the cool of the night with Adam and with Eve. And then soil and spirit got torn apart and creation has been groaning ever since. And there was a hope, there's a hope you see alive in the Old Testament for a time when there would be a reunion. And now John is describing it. He's seen it. The spirit has opened his eyes to be able to perceive it. And he's giving this picture of the end of the story to the church to inspire them to new action. The story you live in is the story you live out. And Jesus is saying in the centre of this vision, I am making all things new. Now, the Greek language which the Bible was written in has two words for new. One is neos, which is a brand new kind of thing, and the other is kinos, something made new. And friends, the word here is, is kinos. Not I am making new things, which would be neos, but I am making all things new. This is redemption. This is God putting his hands back into the soil of his own creation and saying, I always loved this. This was always good. Before original sin, there was original good and the great cosmic divine recycling operation is happening. God is making all things new. And doesn't that make sense of where we are right now in this story? The story that we're all in, it makes sense of it because I groan sometimes. <laughs> I'm not particularly old, but I have quite a bad back and I groan in the mornings. I groan we've grown as a nation we've grown as creation when we recognize the pain amongst us and at the same time don't we admire goodness don't we desire beauty don't our hearts sing when we hear amazing sounds in cathedrals and taste delicious food There's something within us that that perceives something of goodness that we just long for more of. And at the same time, we groan and we ache. I don't know if if you've ever seen that. There's an iconic picture of a well-known slogan that street street preachers used to use, a big slogan. Beware, the end of the world is nigh. Well, actually, I think the message of Christianity, beware, the beginning is nigh. Because soon and very soon, Jesus will break in and the groanings and that pain that we have, will be put to one side. And the desire and the, the way we're made to appreciate goodness, beauty and truth will be fulfilled. And that's a picture of heaven and earth coming together. That's the picture that we have of the end of the story. Now, we have all of this in this bizarre situation because of Easter. The bizarre situation is though we know the end, the end is already broken out amongst us. We've, we've got a sneak peek at the end. Jesus's body resurrected. The first day of new creation happened on Easter Sunday in the garden, just like the Garden of Eden. But rather than uh, Eve being the mother of, of life that, that led to the curse, now Mary, one of Jesus's disciples, is, is there witnessing the new creation. A redemption of what went wrong at Eden. Easter was the beginning of the end. It's broken out amongst us. Dawn is breaking in. And that's where we are. Stuck in the middle, as I said before. (laughs) Like the song. Stuck in the middle of the fulfilment of all that Jesus came to establish. But with the very real presence of jesus making all things new and so just just to just explore just a couple of the features of that new city at the end a few things that are absent if you go on we some of them cropped up in what we just read but some of them in the rest of revelation 21 and 22 if you have a bible in front of you you might want to have it open or or, or do recommend you read it later there's a few things that are absent in in the future end when when fulfillment happens there's no C. Sea was the place of chaos in the ancient world and there's no more sea, no more place of the unknown, that that, that sort of scary feeling you get when you walk into the sea and you don't know what's down there. Visibility, order. There's no tears, no death, no mourning, no crying, no pain. No death, just hear that, no death, no ending, no cessation, foreverness. No temple. Why? Because even though some people like to try and say there's a sacred space and a secular space, a space for religion and a space for not. Well, where we're going, it's just one creation and God are one. We have come into the city of God and the city itself is the temple. And it's confusing because you'll read on it says God himself is the temple and the city is the temple, which is to say everything has kind of collapsed in on itself. And all that means, well, the only purpose of the temple anyway was to be the bridgehead, the landing strip of heaven and earth. And so if heaven and earth get together, you don't need a temple anymore. It's like that Eden picture of harmony and unity with God. There's no closed gates in this city. Israel's fulfillment was Israel's purpose was to bless the nations and here it's fulfilled the gates are open the gates are open all people are welcome and what's in the city well God is there God is in the center of this city his home it says in verse 3 of chapter 21 is is among more mortals he will dwell with them and they will be his peoples and God himself will be with them glory is there resplendent jewels of every kind and it says the lamb himself will be the light there's no need for, for sun or moon it doesn't actually say there isn't sun or moon it just says there's no need for sun or moon i don't know if there is or isn't who knows but the lamb god is the light the glory the resplendent power of god is there and creation is there we're there things that are made tangible stuff Not a wispy place of spirits, but a physical place of jewels and streets and pavements and walls. That's possible because of the incarnation. Because God came and and embodied and literally took flesh. All things can be caught up and remade and gathered into the new heavens. All the peoples are there, not just one sort, but every sign, every race, tribe and tongue. There's creativity there. It says we will reign with him. Ongoing, creative, life, work, art, farming, cooking. And there's life there. It says in Revelation 22, the river of life. There's Again, there's two words for life in Greek. Bios, just existence, and then zoe, which is unending life, fullness of life. That's why one of our daughter's middle names is Zoe. Because the life that we have in God is unending and, and forevermore. Fullness of life. And lastly, they will see God's face, intimacy. What was far off is now up close and personal. This is the prophetic vision of the new city. If it doesn't expand and kind of slightly blow your imagination, then it hasn't done its job. It doesn't mine. I can barely keep in the images and the ideas and each one of those and more could be a sermon in themselves. but I recommend you go away and read it and let it ignite your imagination. And so we have a hope for recreation, a hope for kynos, a hope for cosmic recycling. And we must, friends, resist two things. Because of this story, this being the Christian story, we must resist two lesser stories. Firstly, utopianism, which is to say that by ourselves, with the right elections, the right deregulation of the markets or regulation of the markets the right voting of this or passing of this blocking that law pass if we can get there we can perfect the world the christian story says no that won't happen the new heavens came out of heaven from god we couldn't produce it ourselves and secondly if utopianism is one i would call it the heresy that we must resist the second is escapism which says this world doesn't matter other races don't matter People different from me don't matter. Culture doesn't matter. What goes on in this world doesn't matter. Laws don't matter. The markets don't matter. Things don't matter. Well, matter matters. Why? Because Thomas touched the hands of Jesus. Physicality matters. This world matters. God has not rescinded his right to be the creator and the creation of something that's good and worth saving. So we live in the world, in the nexus of the world's way, right in the centre, in the crossroads of what happens. And we put up a camp right there and say we are the church because God loves this world. So we will stand here. We're not budging because Jesus will renew all things. We must resist utopianism, which says we can do it by ourselves. We must resist escapism, which says it's not anything to do with us. We must live in the tension between the two. We care deeply about the world and we long for the new heavens and the new earth. We hold that tension. So, as we land, what does that mean for us at this time in Bow? I think the book of Revelation fuels our imagination to remember the story we live in so that we can live it out. I think the call of the church is to be an anticipation and a foretaste. An anticipation, which is to say, no, not utopianism. We must long for more. We must long for God. If the church isn't praying right now, then who is? If the church isn't longing for the spirit of Jesus to flood the earth, then who is? If the church only cares and we should care about Health and safety, return to our buildings and all such things, absolutely very important. But if that's the end, if that's the sum total of what the church is doing right now, then we may just have missed the big picture of what God would want to do in a moment like this, which is simply to pray, to anticipate, to dream with God of the day when there are no more tears, there is no more crying, there is no more mourning, which is why we're going to look at prayer specifically in Lent. If the church isn't praying now, what will it take? What will it take for the church to pray? If it's not praying now, when do we wanna wait any longer? It's time to pray. It's time to attend to the things that we cannot just manage through health and safety and Excel sheets. It's time to look to God. The end of the book of Revelation says, the spirit and the bride say, come. Let everyone who hears say, come. And let everyone who is thirsty, come it's the invitation invitation of God and the invitation to God the spirit and the bride say come Will this day come it's the prayer we pray at every sort of service you've probably ever been to your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven come Lord Jesus for these broken cities for the broken city of Rome that's what they imagined at the time. This great this great sort of historic city of Rome, but actually it was a broken city and the spirit allowed John to see it and Rome fell. And when I, I look at the stories and the realities of, of, of London, it's full of brokenness. We anticipate a day beyond that. But lastly, we are a foretaste as well because of what I already said, because of Easter, because the end has broken out amongst us. A bit of the end is amongst us in the, in the form of the church. We're a foretaste of what is to come like waking up when someone's been baking you can smell it you haven't yet eaten it but you can smell it the church is a whiff of heaven I was running a couple of weeks ago in the cemetery park and I saw the green um, stems of daffodils and all the flowers that are coming and then there were snowdrops a picture it was a difficult week when many of us were really struggling A picture that spring is coming. There are snowdrops here pointing to the fact that there will be daffodils. The church is here to be a foretaste, a first with the smell of what's coming. So we're to bring something of the life of heaven to bow. We say your uh, your will be done on bow as it is in heaven. Just one story. I mean, there could be literally, we're just going to wrap up now. There could be literally a thousand and one ideas of what that would look like. But I just this one thing that's occurred to me this week. I was on the way back from a funeral on, on the top floor of a bus. I'd walked, tried to walk back. It was quite far. And it was very cold. So I got on the bus and, um, and, and looked and imagined what would it look like if something over this great sky of London, something of heaven broke in. And I was thinking about funerals. And thinking about a comment the the crematorium assistant said, he said, you know, he said that yesterday there was a funeral of a 33-year-old woman and no one came. You know, in many funerals, not just because of COVID that I go to, there aren't many people there. I remember one funeral, the deceased lived between where I live here in the rectory and the church. And when I walk backwards and forwards, I walk from normal times seeing all of you we have a great time. I see, I see people that I love, that we worship God together. And then I walk home to my family, people I love the most. I have an amazing experience between walking between my home and the church. Well, the deceased at this funeral didn't have many people at their funeral. And they lived between my home and the church. And so it's possible I passed them one day. Maybe many times. I don't know. I wonder who we pass in the everyday that if they died, there wouldn't be many people there. As a church, we have the most incredible thing that perhaps it's easy for me to take for granted. Even our sort of, you know, fairly sort of cheesy church socials, many of us could, could probably be doing something better. That's a gift. That's a privilege. Because there are lonely people in these streets. The city has wide open gates, the city of heaven. It has a place of welcome and hospitality to everyone. And and it just strikes my heart as we close Revelation and we dream something, what it would look like for heaven to break out in bow. What if we all just decided to befriend one or two people in the next few weeks as lockdown lifts that we don't know yet? that look nothing like us, sound nothing like us. Because what we have here in church, you know, if any one of you died, there would be people, I I can see who's on this call. We're not perfect, but we do have your name and we do know your face and we do love you. There'll be people mourning you and grieving you. What if we could be that? What if we could invite more into this? What if we could grow the church through kindness and hospitality? There'll be those of us that are relieved to be done with Revelation, but there's part of me that wants to stay in the book because it helps me to dream. It helps me to not get stuck down in the the detail, and the but just think this little things and little moments of breakout peace and hope and life and, and goodness, that when we dream with the story that we're in, we start to see different possibilities for the place that we live in. The story that you live in is the story that you live at. The call as we close this series is to have imagination, to see and to pray, to anticipate the day when all things will be made new, no tears, no crying, no mourning. And also to be a foretaste in this place at this time, a taste of heaven, a smell of what is to come breaking out amongst us. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let everyone who hears say, come. And let everyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who wishes take the water of life as a gift. Amen. I pray, Holy Spirit, that for each of us, as we walk these streets and look at your children and the world that you love, you would give us imagination To see with the power of the story that we believe in. The way in which you're calling us to live this out. And to see Jesus who is making all things new present amidst us. With us. Giving us the means, the tools, the power. To bring a taste of heaven to earth. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to the Bow Church podcast. If you'd like to get in contact with us, email us at hello at bow.church. We hope you enjoyed this series on the book of Revelation.